She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast. Episode 6. Shadows. So how are you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm all right. I mean, I know this isn't like the Nick and Tori podcast, but I just feel like, you know, maybe people have been listening for about a month now and they might just want to know how we're doing. Yeah. Things are a little weird at the moment as we're recording. So, because. Yeah. We are both in the Pacific Northwest and there are. She's on fire. So, yeah. Yeah. It's on fire. There's lots of smoke, which is super fun. Yeah. I haven't been open my windows for about three days and I'm not going to be able to open them for about another three days. So. Yeah. 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 And, uh. I have like a constant sore throat and I'm not sure how much of that is from the smoke or just from like having a fan on while I sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just, yeah, it's been really, really fun couple days here, but at least we're safe, I guess. And, um, you know, uncomfortable, but, but safe. So that's good. But we're still hitting it. So we're going to, we we're going to yeah. do an episode. We are going to do an episode. Right. I'd rather talk about the X-Files than the apocalypse happening outside. So. Cool. Sounds like a good plan to me. All right, so let's get into it. All right. This episode was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong, and it was directed by Michael Cattleman. And Michael Cattleman is the one who helped James Wong film the missing scenes from Squeeze. Oh, nice. This episode, like that episode, was filmed in Vancouver and shot during the vague dates of September 1993. <laughs> The original air date was Friday, October 22nd, 1993. Oh, so they skipped a week. Yeah, so the previous episode had aired on October 8th. And then on October 15th, 1993, Fox instead aired a one-hour special, Baseball Relief, which received less than half the viewers of The X-Files or what The X-Files normally would, which was about $4 million. Okay, yeah, because this one, they received a viewership of $8.8 million in the United States, which is the lowest they've had so far. It's down 1.6 from the previous episode and down 3.2 million from the pilot. Yeah. I don't think the show had found its groove yet. Yeah. I mean, like these numbers are obviously like, you don't know what you're going to get when you watch an episode live. So these numbers are more likely based on what the previous episode how people felt about the previous episode. And we know Jersey Devil didn't do that. wasn't like that popular of an episode. So. Yeah. Well, and also I think because they skipped a week, people might've just gotten distracted or forgotten that it was on. That's true. Yeah. Cause it's basically, yeah, there was a week in between. And if you weren't like hardcore dedicated, you may have just missed it. Right. Also, I, I, I am curious because I know that this says how many people viewed it. I wonder if like you record it on VHS right? Like if you have your VCR and you're recording it because you're not home on a Friday night, because I mean, it is Friday night, right? I wonder, right. does that does that count? Because like your station is tuned to that. And I know they like, you know, they get these numbers from like Nielsen families and extrapolate, but right. I was wondering yeah, about so, that. So. Yeah, I don't know. Because I know the Nielsen system is kind of convoluted. Right. But I don't know exactly how like local reporting affiliates might get numbers. And I don't know if VCR yeah. ever counts. Because I would think like your your TV is like like you're you're picking up that signal if you're recording it, so I've always just kind of wondered about. That. I think I wondered about that back then too, and it was never really 
<laughs> it's like, never I clear. wonder about it, but never really cared enough to like, like research it, I guess, <laughs> is what the problem was. Kind of the story of my life. It's like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't want to bother looking it up. That's fine. <laughs> so before we actually discuss this episode, I do think we need to give listeners a heads up that this episode and therefore our discussion of this episode will be mentioning suicide. So we just wanted to make sure that people were aware of that. Yeah. So... After a young woman's boss dies by suicide, other deaths and strange phenomena seem to follow her around. Mulder and Scully are brought in by another agency to look at corpses that are exhibiting strange behavior. The corpses appear to have been strangled without anyone physically touching their necks. Mulder posits it's the work of telekinesis. Scully is not convinced. Because she thinks it's aliens. (laughs) No, I don't think Scully's theory is aliens. Oh, all right, fine. (laughs) So we open in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. A woman, Lauren Kite, is crying in her boss's office. And we learn that Howard Graves died by suicide about two weeks before. And she's obviously still grieving. I would say she's grieving a little too much. But later, she's at an ATM depositing her check at night for some reason. And two dudes grab her and she screams. And they drag her into an alley. And then the next thing we see are two teenagers are walking down the alley and they're looking in a dumpster and there's something stinky in there. And you think, oh, there's going to be bodies, but there aren't. (laughs) And then they're basically looking for a place to sleep. And they see an open window in one of the buildings. And they're like, let's climb the fire escape and go through that window. And that'll be a cool place to sleep. So I'm thinking, okay. Like, yeah, (laughs) because they're probably open because someone lives there, but whatever. So... The guy lifts the girl up and she's trying to pull down the ladder and it won't come down. And he's like, pull it, pull it. So she finally pulls it and like a body falls onto the dumpster next to them. And then the ladder slides down and there's a body hanging from it. And they're like, ah, and they run. (laughs) And then we get the credits. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's, I mean... Even in the 80s, I feel like there were, like, PSAs. Like, I was a kid in the 80s, so I didn't have a paycheck. But I'm pretty sure there were, like, segments on Oprah about how you shouldn't deposit your ATM after dark. Yeah, well, and and she leaves. Like, they're telling her, like, you're so upset. You should go home. And she's like, okay. So I'm guessing, like, either it was time to go home and she was, like, sticking around afterwards, which means it would be, like, 5 o'clock. Or she left early. And we find out later, this is like in September or maybe October. We don't know. That'll come up later. But it's like, there's no way it's dark at five o'clock. Right. So, yeah. So, and like, like I get it. You've got bills to pay. You got to get that money in the bank. But like, Use direct deposit. that is a super unsafe looking ATM. I'm pretty sure direct deposit was a thing in the 90s. But, yeah. Especially because she works for like a defense department contractor. I'm sure they had direct deposit. But anyway. yeah oh and by the way when the scene first opens there's like some dubbed i'm assuming they're dubbed but we get some crying sounds because we don't actually get to see the people at first we just kind of see like pictures on a wall and like stuff on a desk and those crying sounds are bad acting in my opinion right they are not good (laughs) yeah no and all the photos we see, too, are, like, this person who's died, and he's, like, with all the presidents. Yeah, he's, like, with Reagan. Like Nixon and, yeah, and Reagan and yeah. Clinton. And so, anyway, so you know he's, like, Oh, and we get, important. and he has a little, like, a little glass thing on his desk that has a Benjamin Franklin quote 
that says one today is worth two tomorrows in like old fashioned type where like today has got a hyphen in it and tomorrow's got a hyphen in it. But right. that's going to come up a lot later. I'm not <laughs> sure why, but it does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I think we're, we're like, we're like really getting ahead of ourselves probably, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So after the theme song, uh, the theme song. Like After like, the theme song. X Files. X Files. Woo! All right. Oh, I shouldn't scream into the mic. I promised I was going to stop screaming into the mic. First thing I do. Woo! Right into the mic. Anyway, so after the opening, we see Mulder and Scully are being brought into a morgue by another agency. Like the door opens, and there's these two agents standing there, and they won't say who they are. They do say that Blevins has recommended Mulder and Scully. Shout out to Blevins. <laughs> and so the agents asked them to look at the corpses of these men, and they're the men who were found on the fire escape. The corpses are still jerking post-mortem, and their bodies are still warm. Yeah, Scully doesn't like that. Scully. <sighs> Scully. Scully does not like that. Scully does not um, like that jerking going on in the... No, yeah. she does not. It's like his arm kind of flies up yeah. and stuff on the table, like a, which like is Like a frog weird. in science class. Yeah. Yeah. And x-rays show both men's throats are crushed, like they've been strangled, but the necks don't show any wounds or signs of strangulation. The agents ask Mulder and Scully if they have seen this before, and Mulder says no. He might be lying. He might be. He's, he's not super convincing. Yeah. <laughs> and I just have to say, his hair... Lo- I forgot to say this last episode, the Jersey Devil, but like his hair looked really fluffy. I think it looks really fluffy here, too. Like It looks like... Yeah, I don't know that it looks that fluffy. fluffy. I mean, like it's it basically a toned-down version of what my hair was like in the 90s, because I would yeah, definitely but- have like, the fro going on, but... It's not just that it's big, it's that it looks really like light and airy, like he just washed it, and it looks really just fluffy. Well, I mean, I maybe know. he did just wash it. I will <laughs> say, though, and maybe it's only Sad. because I'm looking now to see, like, is his hair fluffy? Dude's got a five head. He's got quite the forehead going on. So, oh. Yeah. I, I didn't know what that was. Oh, yeah. five Because it's not a forehead, <laughs> it's a five head. Oh, yeah, okay. See? Yeah, he does kind of have a big forehead. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. I like the fluffy hair. Okay. Um, I also like that Mulder gets testy with the agents because they just aren't giving him anything and he keeps trying to push them and they just stand there blankly and finally he gets them to admit that the bodies were transported on a plane and that they've been dead for like eight hours. So they shouldn't still be warm and probably shouldn't still be jerking around either. Like at that point, they should be rigid and not moving. I thought it was six hours. I thought it was eight, but it might have been six. I thought it was six because I know he finally, they're finally like, they were transported by air for 60 minutes or something like that. But yeah. Yeah. Thought, well, that's how long they were on the flight, but I don't, I think they'd been dead for yeah, a I little thought, longer. I thought the corner said six, but you might be right. I don't know. <laughs> I'd have to go back to look. I don't know. But it's long enough that they should be like cooled down a little and not moving, basically. Right. Definitely not yeah. like twitching on the table. Yeah. 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 There was something else you really liked about this scene, though, too. Oh, yeah. I really liked Skelly's purple blazer. I thought it was... I don't know. It just looked cool. She had, like, this cream top, purple blazer. Her hair looked really great. Yeah, and it was like um, it was like so a... It didn't have... It was a lapel-less. It didn't have the, the lapels. It was just yeah. straight. Yeah. It was just a cool look. She looked good. Yeah. A lot of shoulder pads, though. Yeah. Scully yeah, had shoulder pads. Mulder had shoulder pads. Webster, the unnamed agent, had shoulder pads. 
Miss Saunders, the other unnamed agent, had shoulder pads. Everybody, I think everybody but the doctor had shoulder pads going on in this scene. But I mean, it was the <laughs> it 90s. It was a staple so. of early 90s fashion. Yeah. Suits with big shoulder pads. Anyway, so they leave, and outside the morgue, Scully's like, You lied to them. And he's like, I didn't lie. I'm willfully participating in a campaign of misinformation. But he believes the men were killed with telekinesis. And Scully doesn't buy that. And he reveals all this information that he has about X-Files. And I'm thinking, dude, you're thinking these people are CIA or NSA. And you're just blah, blah, blah. And in the hallway and in the elevator, not thinking their building might be bugged at all. Telling them that you just lied to them and have all this information. But okay, whatever, Scolder. Scolder. Whatever, Mulder. <laughs> um, but he does. And I love this he shows Scully because she's like, well, there's nothing we can do about this. We're never going to be able to figure out what's going on here. And he's like, mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know about that. And pulls out his glasses and he's got fingerprints on each lens. Cause he like yeah. the bodies and press. I will say though, when he blows on his lenses to fog them up to show the fingerprints, they don't fog up. They have like dusting powder on them. The fingerprints are black. So I'm not sure how, like what he's got in his mouth. He's got like a hollow tooth with like some dusting powder or something, but yeah. He's prepared. I can you say, you know, he's prepared. He's not just a special agent. He's a (laughs) secret special agent. Yeah. Instead of a utility belt, he's got like utility dentures and he's just like. (laughs) Oh dear. I didn't even notice that. I was just like, oh cool. Fingerprints. No, they're totally like he just, like if you dusted prints, like in tombs, right? When he dusted it, it's it's all the black fingerprint. Mm-hmm. He's got black fingerprints on his glasses when he blows on him. I'm like, okay. <sighs> oh, Mulder. So we cut back to the office where Lauren Kite wants to speak to her boss. And this is Howard Graves' partner. His name's Robert Dorland. And Robert's receptionist is kind of a jerk and not letting her in. And she's like, well, you can see him next week or you can see him tomorrow at three. And she's like, no, I need to talk to him now. And as she's getting upset, the coffee mug next to the receptionist starts shaking on the desk and then it like flops over and spills coffee everywhere. So in the commotion, Dorland opens his office door to see what's going on. And Lauren's like, I need to speak to you. And so he lets her in. She gives him her two weeks notice. And then Dorland like gets right in her face and tells her he won't let her leave. He like grabs her face. Yeah. He's super like, it's so aggressive that you're just like, Whoa, what is this dude's problem? Yeah. And then um, as he's attacking her, he's wearing this ugly gold bracelet and it just tightens around his wrist. Like it's cutting off his circulation. And so that's obviously super painful. So he moves away and tries to get the bracelet off. And he's, he basically is literally strong armed into just accepting her two weeks notice. And then Lauren just leaves. Yeah. And my first thought was like, dude, how rapey can you be? Like, geez, like, you want her to be your secretary? Because he, like, just totally grabs her. We'll find out that's not the case. But then I was also like, man, why is everybody into this, like, milk toast of a woman? Because she <laughs> is just, like, I mean, not to be, like, victim blame, but, like, you, we get the opening scenes when she's, like, just overwrought with grief about her boss, right, who died, like, two or three weeks ago. And then it's, like, she's just given off this, like, vibe of, like, please like attack me kind of thing. But anyway, I probably shouldn't say that, but this is like, anyway. Yeah. I actually looked her up cause she looked really familiar and she has been on every procedural show you can think of. Mm. So 
Maybe she just has that look because she's always playing someone who's like been attacked or murdered. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) But yeah, she definitely like her. I mean, it all makes sense later why she's upset and why she's why this guy's being such a jerk. But at the yeah, at first it's very. I don't know that it makes sense why she's so upset, but it does make sense why this guy's being a jerk. It does because they were really close, and it talks about he was like a dad to her, and so like. Yeah. And she was obviously like a daughter to him. And so they had a really close relationship, which, I mean, I think she only worked for him for two years. Yeah, and that's why I'm kind of like, yeah, but... But when someone dies suddenly, and by suicide especially, like, it's just so shocking, I think, that it, you know, compounds the normal grief you would feel anyway. Because it's such a shock. I mean, I did wonder why, like, she is the one who is emptying out his room right well he doesn't have a lot of family though because remember his wife left him years and years ago and so it seems like neither of them have a lot of family and that's probably why they were so close i guess but it's been like two or three weeks since he died and they're barely emptying out his office like two or three weeks later (laughs) and they're getting the person who was like known to be like super emotional to do it i mean i get that she was a secretary yeah maybe because she was close to him and she knew what you know might be important and where stuff was and i don't know it makes sense to me okay I i don't know I have my issues with this episode, as as is probably noted already. <laughs> That's okay. So. <laughs> You're allowed. You're allowed. Okay. So using his super secret spy fingerprints that he got, Mulder has ID'd the dead men, and they are known terrorists from Iran. Yeah, this is not the 90s or anything. Okay. And it's like some super made-up terrorist name that I'm not even going to try to reiterate. So... Yeah, but they end up going to Philly because we don't know where they were originally. It just said they were in well, they were in Bethesda when they did the morgue. That was like Bethesda Naval Medical Center, I believe, is where they were. And so they end up in Philly, and they get a local cop to show them where the bodies were found. And while Scully is talking to the cop, Mulder's just kind of looking around, checking out the scene, and he hears a little boop, 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 boop. And there's some little old lady getting out her money who thinks Mulder is a creep, apparently, because she like looks and sees him and like grabs her receipt and like calls. But so and so well, they, it's dark and I two guess, people just died in that alley. Yeah, some guy know? in a suit with fluffy hair might take all my money. But <laughs> but anyway, so they get the tape from the ATM and they're like skimming through it and they see her being grabbed by the men who they saw were dead. And then they also, well, I don't know about they also, but Mulder sees a blurry face behind a car. And they think it might be another person, although Mulder thinks it might be a ghost. Yeah, it's it's pretty blurry. Like, it's a pretty blurry blur. Yeah. And I get them thinking it's a ghost. This will come up in a minute, but, like, they see, like, a face in it, and I... <laughs> I looked at it. I couldn't really even make out much of a face. Yeah. In it. Well, they even really like show it to me. people as a face. Like you yeah. recognize this face and you're like this smear. I don't know what that is. I mean, they do that later. Yeah. They, haven't done, they haven't done that yet, but they're going to do that. I know. Well, that's what I mean is it doesn't really look like a person to me. It just looks like a white blur. Yeah. So, but I have to say, I think this is where Morgan and Wong kind of kneecap themselves in the story. This is the first of a couple of parts where they kneecap their story. And I'll get more into that later. But these, the, the ghost photography is something I think <laughs> was maybe something they should have left out. But we'll get into that. <laughs> I'll save that for the end. Okay. My grand plan to rewrite this episode. 
So yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to hear that. So we do learn from the ATM footage that the date is September 22nd, 1993. Yes. And then they go to Lauren's house to question her. She denies recognizing the two dead men, but when they confront her with the still of the ATM video, she does admit that they had tried to mug her and she got away from them. She ran and she just didn't want to file a police report, which I mean, I I can understand. And then they show her, this is where they show her the face of like the blur. And they're like, do you recognize this person? And I having just looked at the blur, I'm thinking there's nothing to recognize there. That is ridiculous. But then she does clearly recognize it. And she's like, well, I can't tell you who it is. And she won't say who it is. Yeah, I like how in this episode, Scully is like, maybe not the bad cop, but like she's the hard ass. Cause she's like, no, I can't, like, I don't recognize these people. And she's like, well, I think you do. And like whips out the photo. <laughs> so I, I like that part. But yeah. Yeah. And then and then she just like like you're caught lying and you're caught lying because you are bad at lying. So mm-hmm. then she decides she's gonna lie again when they ask her about the other face. Like that's and like, she's clearly like she obviously knows who it is, which is ridiculous because it's like a blur of white. Yeah. Um, but also want to mention a very important fact, and that is that she has a cat. Yeah. And I was very excited and also very worried for the cat because every time I see a cat on a show like this, I immediately get terrified that something's going to happen to the cat. Mm. That is how I am. But anyway, I was like, kitty. We'll so, find out. <laughs> we'll find out. I'm not, not saying anything. No spoilers, but we'll find out. <laughs> The cat is fine. Don't worry. Yep. So outside Lauren's house, nothing happens to the cat. Anyway, outside Lauren's house, (laughs) Scully doubts that Lauren would stand much of a chance. She's like, I don't think she'd be like getting away and running from those two guys who grabbed her, let alone be able to kill them. And so they get in the car and they're talking and like Lauren's looking out the window at him. Mulder's like trying to get ready to start the car. Well, he does start the car and the emergency brake like pops off by itself and the doors lock and they're like, what's going on? And then the car like jumps into reverse and like the pedal just boom, goes to the floor and Mulder's like stepping on the pedal, trying to stop the car and it just drives down the street and boom, ends up crashing into somebody else. Yeah. And I guess they didn't get too far. I mean, they did get, like, down the block, but somehow, like, Mulder has, like, supervision to go with his, like, special dental work and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and he sees Lauren watching from her window, and then she's, like, super subtle and turns away and closes the blind because that's not suspicious at all. Like you know, She is but... the worst at looking innocent. She is the worst. <laughs> yeah. She is doing everything wrong if you don't want to look like a bad guy. Yeah. And I have to say, I totally thought, and maybe it was the same guy just because like he was on set. I am pretty sure the guy who is driving the car they hit, because you don't see his face. You see like like a one quarter view, so you get a little bit of his face, but you see the back of his head. It almost looks like Webster, the nondescript agent who was in the morgue. I could be wrong. It does look similar. It's hard to tell because we really don't. We see like a, a quick like pan yeah. over of his. And so I kind of thought they were going to go that way, like it was him, like working on the case and they're ruining his case, kind of thing. But mm-hmm. it, I maybe it, maybe that was the plan and they didn't have time. Maybe it actually wasn't that guy. Maybe it was just someone with like the same kind of haircut, wearing a suit. 
because that's what people do in Philadelphia, maybe. I have no idea. But Yeah. Couldn't say, but yeah, it was they didn't really show if he was okay, which oh, okay. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully the people in the other car are all right. Yeah. We do find out Scully's okay though. We do. So at the auto shop, Scully comes back in, Mulder's with the car, and she mentioned that she was checked out by the EMTs. She's fine. She did say like something about a DMV sized headache, so maybe she went over to like the DMV to do some paperwork with the car, who knows? Oh, they probably made her handle all the insurance stuff for the dude that they hit, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, that would make sense. So the car seems fine, um, except for the crash, obviously. It's brand new. It's only got 100 miles on it. The mechanic didn't find any problems with it. And this is before cars were, like, super computerized, too. So, like, it's not like there was some kind of computer malfunction because cars didn't even work that way back then. And that would be next episode anyway. So Yeah. So Mulder shows Scully that the headlights are, like, blaring. And then he tells her that they're actually turned off. There's just so much electrostatic energy in this car that the lights are just blaring on. They're super bright. And so he thinks that kind of energy is the result of telekinetic power. Yeah. And am I missing something? Like, is there a significance to the fact that, like, when they decide to leave, Mulder goes over the car and gets his coat off the hood, and, like, suddenly the lights turn off. It's all crackle, crackle, and the lights turn off, and they both, like, look at each other. Am I missing something? Or is it just like, well, that was spooky, or... Like, I think it's just the... spooky, okay. the timing spooky, but also it's probably just that the car ran out of that energy. Okay. And then I know you probably love this because we talked about this in Conduit a little bit. Scully's like, are you saying Lauren Kite crashed our car? And Mulder's like, that or a poltergeist. Yeah. And Scully's all, they're here. <laughs> and she does a little yeah, poltergeist Yeah, when, she, when she said that, I was like, oh, cool. I totally like brought that from Conduit. Yeah. She also yeah. earlier mentions... And I don't remember where, but it is before this. She mentions Carrie. Yeah, she does mention when something about like... When he's first talking about psychokinesis. When they, oh, it's, I think it's after they leave the morgue and he's talking about the throats being crushed. And he's talking about psychokinesis and that kind of stuff. And she mentions Carrie. So. Yeah, she's like, you mean how Carrie got revenge at prom? Yeah. <laughs> and Mulder does a runway pose with his jacket over his shoulder as they leave. Maybe that's why I turned the lights just, off. Maybe. <laughs> Mulder just looked so smoking hot. It was like... <laughs> I give up. <laughs> the car gave up. <laughs> yeah. So they end up doing surveillance on Lauren. And they're waiting for her outside her job. And Scully's reading her criminal report. She doesn't have, like, she, like no, no red flags. She has, like, 15K in credit card debt, which is about... Twenty-seven thousand dollars in twenty twenty dollars, but like that's the only nice. thing that's. And I'm not. I'm not sure why that's like something that stands out. I mean, I guess that is maybe weird if she doesn't have anything else, and I don't know. It could just be like part of a possible motive. Like if you're in debt a lot, oh maybe yeah, maybe motive be, to be nefarious because you need money. Yeah, I mean, like if you had suddenly paid off your credit card debt, then maybe you're getting money. I didn't, hadn't thought about that. This is why yeah. I'm not an FBI agent. Okay. <laughs> But they're hanging out by her work at first, and she gets into like a f- art, like she kind of like loses it on some dude who's like painting over Howard Graves' name on the parking space. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, lady, like calm down. Like you're like the dude's just doing his job. Your boss has been dead for like two or three weeks. Like yeah, they're gonna paint over his face. Like it's not your job. And like why are you harassing this poor guy? Like she gets really upset about that. Oh, I know. She like tears the new. He has like a stencil of the new name. Yeah. And she tears and it like, out of his hand. What are you hand. doing? I'll take care of this. Just get out of here. Kind of. It's like, <laughs> hey, calm 
down. Oh my god. But scolder, uh, scolder. Oh. <laughs> it's so easy to do because Mulder, Scully, they're both kind of, and then you just squish them together. Oh man! But Mulder's <laughs> like taking photos of her with telephoto lens, and then they apparently follow her to a graveyard where she's got flowers and she's standing over his grave. Which I have to say, when they first do the long shot, she's standing there and it's like she's looking at like a like a flat like grave marker nothing mm-hmm. there's nothing blocking her view and then they go in for a closer shot and she's standing in front of like a raised tombstone oh and then they pull back later and then when they go to the grave like she's standing there and she puts the flowers down and it's like a raised gravestone right. and then they cut to Mulder and scully walking to the grave and again it's a flat grave marker so huh. someone messed up there in the i didn't even notice notes. that wow yeah perceptive and they're looking at it, and there's his grave, which says he died October 5th of 1993, <laughs> even though he died like two or three weeks ago, and she was abducted from the ATM on September 22nd, 1993. So the graveyard is causing their production team some problems here. Someone's going to be in trouble. Yeah, someone got the wrong information from the prop department, yes. for sure. Yeah. But they notice his grave, and then right next to it is another grave for Sarah Lynn Graves, I believe. I think Lynn was the middle name. I think so, because it reminded me of Sarah Lynn from BoJack Horseman. Oh, okay. Whatever works, man. <laughs> and But she only is like three years old when we look at the dates. She's just actually just a little bit less than three years old. We find out from the helpful groundskeeper, who I love this groundskeeper. I wish there was like... <laughs> Philadelphia groundskeeper TV show. There is something about him. I want to see more groundskeeper. But anyway, he knows all the stories of everyone in the graveyard and tells them like, oh yeah, he left the gate open and she got into the pool and drowned when she was three years old. And then his wife left him a year later. Sad story. Bye. I got to go back to work. And so Mulder is like, hmm, she would be the same age as Lauren is now if she had lived. Right, which it sounds so sinister. My first thought is like, is she possessed by Sarah? Is that why he and how or she and Howard are so close? Yeah, because maybe she's like possessed by this dead. Daughter? Or maybe she's the reincarnation of his daughter. She would be maybe. about the same age, so maybe we don't know how old Lauren is. Yeah, so maybe, maybe she's like, a couple years younger. Yeah, she just inhabited the baby when she was born, and then yeah. they found each other. And then just a quick fun piece of trivia on that little stencil that she pulls away from the guy trying to paint over the parking space name. The name on that stencil is Tom Braidwood, and he's the show's assistant director. And later he will play Frohickey of the Lone Gunman when they appear. So fun little in, in joke. So Lauren like loses her mind over his stencil, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she was... She was over the top in that one. I was like, Yeah, cal- she was pretty over down. the top. <laughs> you need to calm down. Yeah. <laughs> Although I think some of why she's so upset is probably like this weird stuff is happening and this guy's dead. That's gotta take like a toll. Like she knows those two guys are dead because of stuff she's seen, so she's probably under a lot of stress. <laughs> yes. I think I might be giving her too much credit, but we'll see. maybe. <laughs> anyway. 
So Mulder's in a dark room and he develops some of his film from staking out Lauren. And Scully learns that Lauren is estranged from her family, but was very close to Howard Graves. She wonders what happened to maybe like prompt his suicide, if Lauren's relationship with him is in any way related. And Mulder has digitized his photos and using a computer, he blows them up. And in one of them, it shows Lauren's front window of her house and Lauren's in the photo. And then behind her, you see a shadowy figure. And on this one, they do, they keep zooming in, zooming in. (laughs) Enhance, enhance, yeah. Yeah, and you can clearly see the face as Howard. So in this one, it's not so much of a blur as his actual face. No, because yeah, it totally blows it up and then fills in all the details in this supercomputer that they have in the FBI. It's a magical CSI computer. Yeah. So Scully thinks he's still alive, but Mulder's like, maybe not. Maybe it's a ghost. That's why he was blurry and we had to use the Blade Runner technology to look at this photo. Yeah. <laughs> Again, ghost photos, more kneecapping in the story. <laughs> mm, not feeling it. I am totally impressed. Like Mulder just develops a contact sheet for all his photos. He doesn't actually develop like each individual photo and then uses the big magnifying glass to look at them. So he's like very economical. You know, why, why do all these photos when I can just do a contact sheet? So impressive. <laughs> so then we cut back to Lauren's house and her cat gives us like crazy growl and jumps off the bed and it's nighttime, I guess I should say. And her windows open and her curtains are blowing in the wind. And then she hears something. I'm not sure if this is supposed to be coming from the hallway or from the stairs. It's someone walking like with cement shoes, apparently and grunting. So she's all like, oh, my God. So she goes. And at first I thought she was leaving the room, but apparently she was just going in the closet to get her handy baseball bat. Mm -hmm. And then she's slowly working her way out the bedroom and down the hallway. And then we start hearing voices of like, no, don't do this. Don't do this to me. No, you can't do this to me. No, please. And so we're like, what's going on? Well, I mean, we know what's going on. But it turns out these voices are coming from the bathroom. So she's looking in the bathroom and we can only see a little hint of the bathroom. We see the curtain and the voices are in there. And it's like, there's a struggle and someone pleading for their lives. No, please help. So she pulls back the shower curtain and the bathtub is full of water. And then there's like this expanding cloud of blood in the bathtub. And she's like, (gasps) and then it all goes down the drain. And she's like, Howard, they killed you. Or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a really great visual effect. The cloud of blood in the water. Like it was really, it just looked really good visually. I thought they did a good job with that. Yeah. It was creepy. It was very, it was very reminiscent of some other movie that I've seen. And I can't remember what it is. Um, but there's like a bathtub scene with blood. And so, but yeah. I think it's like from the 60s, maybe the early 70s. I forget what it is, though. But but you got some more cat, so there you yeah, go. Yeah, the cat's fine. It's just obviously freaked out by these ghost voices, which, to be fair, I would also yeah. be. Cat's a little fluffy for me, but... Yeah, I'm, well, my, my boys, I have cat allergies and cats, so my minor short hair. <laughs> okay. I mean, I've <laughs> got a... Limit I've, the, we, we've got a fluffer and a short hair, but he's not like the like this fluffy he's just like elegant 
mythical beast fluffy but he is very elegant yeah. he's an elegant looking cat yeah so uh, Mulder and Scully visit a coroner who because Scully's like Howard Graves isn't dead and then it's like we get to the coroner and she's like Howard Graves is very dead and she is so deadpan I love her like you want to show about the groundskeeper I want Dr. <laughs> Deadpan to have her own series. And I just want her entire series to be like, she is the coroner on some procedural and she is just constantly like not into anyone's crap. She's not putting up with it. She has no interest in it. She is just awesome. Maybe it could be like so, a, maybe not necessarily a team up show, but like they each have their own segment in the show kind of thing. Like we see it, yeah. we see it from both <laughs> their sides. Cause like she's dealing with the, like the like sciencey part. And then he's dealing with like the grave part. So hearing the gossip from the family at the funerals. Yeah. <laughs> so um, on the autopsy paperwork, it says they didn't run blood work because that's not standard if they don't think it's been a murder. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how did you know that this was him? How did you ID the body? You didn't run dental records. And it's like, how did you know it was him? And she's like, it said so on the toe tag because <laughs> yeah. she is the best. And I love her so much. Um, but then they learned that the person who did ID the body was Lauren Kite. And since Scully thinks that Lauren has helped him fake his death, now that she's the one who ID'd the corpse, that's really suspicious. And they learned that he was cremated, but his organs and tissues were donated first, so they do have a way to identify him. Yeah. Which is so exciting. there's two things. One thing in this that <laughs> bothers me is, like, his secretary is ID'd. Like, can we, like, what kind of relationship is going on here? This is getting a little too, <laughs> like... Like, they wouldn't have, like, his partner who he's worked with for, like, 20-something years, I DM. Like, they wouldn't bring in, like, he's estranged from his family, but you still wouldn't, like, bring in the family, like, the ex-wife or something like that to ID him. Like, no. Well, let's the ex-wife his... is dead because she's buried in the cemetery, too. Oh, that's right. She's buried on the other side. So it can't be the ex-wife. Him. But you would yeah. think, like, I agree with you that it would be more logical for, like, the business partner who's known him for 20 years to be the one. Yeah. Or someone, someone else. It does else. feel a little weird that, like, because they're not going to call her first. She's not going to be the yeah. first person. So it is a little odd. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing, though, is as they're heading down to see this medical examiner coroner, they're going upstairs and, and Scully's talking about how like he, he probably faked his death. I'm willing to bet he faked his death. There's probably like some shenanigans going on. Maybe he and Lauren have some deal going on where they're like taking money or something, something going on. And Mulder's like, I don't know. The only person who ever successfully faked his death is Elvis. <laughs> so I thought that was really funny. <laughs> that was good. Yep. So then they go to wherever, whoever it is that handles donations, like some national donation center or something. He's got, he's got a nice white coat and a clipboard and there's lots of cool, like liquid nitrogen around. And he's given the list of like, well, all this stuff was donated. And so shout out to Portland. Cause there's somebody in this town rocking some angry ghost, dead guy corneas, but <laughs> they did say because he was so old, they could only save his like lower spinal tissue or I don't know what that has to do with anything, but it did let them pull up a cool, like liquid nitrogen thing, like Terminator two action. Right. So, and they're going to check that against his, uh, sample and see if that's him. I don't know if they're going to check it against. They said they had a sample from the hospital. 
Oh, okay. Um, possibly when he was brought in or um, maybe before he was pronounced dead or something. But they do have okay. some of his known DNA on file. Oh, okay. So they or it might have been that. from an earlier hospital visit. Okay. Yeah, but they did have some of his tissue somewhere. Okay. I just That just occurred to me of like, that's cool. You're going to get the DNA off of the spinal stuff, but what do you have to compare it to? Yeah, I'm, it must I'm have been have, an earlier hospital visit. I must have had missed that. Okay. I was too I was too focused on the, the corneas in Portland here. <laughs> We start looking at people's eyes when I'm walking around. <laughs> so then we cut to Lauren Kite's goodbye party. And she's packing up her stuff on her desk. And there's cake. And it looks like not a super fun party. But it's like one of those office going away parties. Which I've only been to a couple of those. But they're not usually super exciting. Which she obviously seems like she's about to leave in the middle of before she changes her mind. Yeah, she doesn't. I mean, she's, <laughs> I think at this point, she just wants to go, which is totally fine. Because, like, everyone's walking around, like, with drinks and stuff like that. And she's, like, just carrying her box of shit around, like, oh, I'm going to head out, puts her stuff in, and it's, like, walking <laughs> out the door and then changes her mind. But anyway. Yeah, so then she takes one last, like, trip to Howard's office and kind of looks around. And now it's totally empty. Creepy. All his stuff is gone. She was close to him. <laughs> He was like a father to her. That's creepy. Why didn't she go to his house then? <laughs> Jeez, how close? Yes, if, they were, if they were that close, go to his freaking house. God. <laughs> so she's in the office alone, and then Dorland comes into the office, and then he shuts the door, and he's got her alone, and then he threatens her. And he says if she reveals what she knows, he's going to come after her. And then she accuses him of killing Howard. She says that she knows he didn't kill himself. And because he told her because he told her right so she knows that it wasn't a suicide after all and she runs out of the office and calls Mulder immediately and asks him how fast can you get to my house because Mulder had given her his number back when they questioned her and right. so now she's freaked out yeah so again I thought we were going to go rapey but it turns out we're going murdery yeah so. which is probably better probably I mean I mean either way this guy's a giant yeah no one like like i realize the guy is like well he's got other things on his mind like being murdery but like no mention of like like i know you killed howard because he told me what how does that work yeah. no one mentions that but anyway well you know i think at this point he's yeah i don't know it's weird that it doesn't come up but yeah so we head back to her house again and she's packing all her stuff up. She's getting out of Dodge or out of Philadelphia, I guess. And there's a knock on the door. And we know that it's not Mulder and Scully because we saw the people get out of their car when they drove up. But she thinks it's Mulder and Scully. And she goes to open the door and the slide lock closes itself. And she's like, what? I'm trying to open it and it won't work. She gets it open again and the door starts to open and then a chair comes sliding across the floor and jams itself up under the doorknob. Mm -hmm. And she's like, whoa, what's going on? But apparently the chair thing didn't work at all because then they immediately like bust in the door. We've got two assassins, one male and one female. So some nice diversity in assassins. And <laughs> one of them says, the dude says like, run the bath and goes to grab her. So we're thinking, oh, these are probably the people who killed Howard. Although I would have thought that the other dudes were the ones who killed Howard because they're like the Iranian terrorists. And now we've got white people trying to kill Lauren. So I don't know how, like how many assassins like her boss has on his like Rolodex, but whatever. I mean, he just calls one 800 assassin and they okay. just send whoever's available. Yeah. 
but he's <laughs> but he's got like the switchblade or knife. He's got a knife. I'm I don't remember if it's a switchblade or not, but he's got a knife yeah. out, grabbing her, start the bath. And we're like, oh, they're gonna slit her wrist and put her in the bathtub, which you would think maybe would be suspicious if they did that. But then again, maybe they figured that she's definitely like overwrought crazy lady, so she would maybe kill herself the same way. Yeah, like because she's so overwrought with grief yeah. that she does the same. But thing. he grabs her, and a table comes. Like an end table comes shooting across the room and pins him against the wall. And then the lady goes to get her, but she gets pushed up against the door and she gets Darth Vader strangled. Dead. Yeah. Boom, slumps on the floor. Lauren starts screaming. She's down on the floor, like huddled up in a ball. The dude gets out from behind the table. And then we get... <sighs> we get some little CGI action of like a blur moving through the room like it's a predator or something they could have dropped that but then it starts punching the dude in the face Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we cut yeah so then Mulder and Scully pull up and they hear Lauren screaming inside so Mulder rushes in first and he's like bursts through the door and sees this man suspended midair being strangled and Lauren's all the way across the room. So she's clearly not touching him and nothing is holding him up. Yep. And then Scully arrives just in time to see the body hit the ground. I think she arrives after it hit the ground. I think it's like, Maybe. Our, it's on the ground. That way there's no sense of her seeing a body move, I think. Right. So. And so like she conveniently misses seeing any of the paranormal activity at all. Yeah. She just didn't catch it. <laughs> and we would say like Mulder has to push the door open because the, the lady assassin is like dead in front of the door. So he has to like push her out and he's like, Whoa, dead lady assassin. And then looks and sees like the dude suspended in the air by his throat. Mulder never mentions the fact that he saw the dude like suspended in the air to anybody. Yeah. I kind of wonder how much of that is like, no way Scully's going to believe me. So there's no point. Or maybe he does tell her and she does kind of just like off camera and she just rolls her eyes and is like, no, Mulder, you just were seeing things. So who knows? But yeah, he doesn't say it on screen at all. Okay. So then we cut to an interrogation room and Mulder and Scully are trying to ask Lauren questions, but she's like not going to answer anything. Then the agents show up and say like, you ruined a year's worth of investigation. We were trying to close this case. Blah, 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 blah. Well, we'll get her to talk. And then they can't get her to talk. So they leave. And then Mulder and Scully go back in and she's like, I'm not going to tell you anything. I didn't tell them anything. I'm not going to tell you anything. And then Mulder's like, all right, you can go ahead and go. If you, if you're not going to tell us anything, go ahead and leave. You must feel safe that like Howard's ghost is watching over you. And then that obviously breaks her silence. So, yeah. So that kind of gets her to open up. So she admits that Howard told her the company had sold parts to a terrorist group doesn't really it's never clear like what kind of parts but obviously they do some kind of defense contracting because of all those presidential photos and one day howard learned that this group that the company had sold parts to had taken responsibility for a van explosion that had killed some servicemen and so he was in his office crying lauren had assumed that that is why he ended up in the bathtub dying by suicide so until she figures out he's murdered so she assumes that was what had happened as he was so devastated that his company had helped kill these people scully convinces her that she has to tell howard she loves him by finishing his unfinished business and helping him take down dorland and the company 
And Lauren's like, yeah, you're right. She goes to go clean herself up in the bathroom. And Mulder asks Scully what she's doing because she doesn't believe in ghosts. So why is she using ghosts to convince this woman? And Scully says she doesn't believe in ghosts, but she does believe in justice. And she believes that Lauren believes in ghosts. Right. So that'll get her to help them get justice. But Mulder is just really mad that they maybe have blown their opportunity to observe spectral phenomena. So (laughs) that's his his priority, which is, I mean, to be fair, that's his whole life's work, right? Is to catch paranormal stuff on tape or whatever. And then we get Scully doing her brave heart. She's talking to all the agents lined up. So we're going in to raid these offices. We need to get this stuff. Make sure you do it clean. Make sure you do a thorough job. We need to get this guy. This is probably going to be our only chance. So they all roll out in their cars and they show up with their warrants. Hey, get away from those files. Hey, can you stand over here, please? Hey, do you mind putting that stuff down? (laughs) They're pulling stuff, putting stuff in boxes, looking through stuff. And Dorlin comes out and he's like, what's going on? And he looks kind of upset. But then later they're looking for stuff and they're like, we're not finding anything. The we don't know what agency they are. Webster is pissed off. He's like, we're not finding anything. This guy's walking. This is all your fault. And Dorland's sitting there talking to other employees and he's looking like, this is no problem. We're fine. Mm-hmm. And Dorland looks really smug too. Like he's clearly not breaking a sweat. He does not care. Like he knows they don't have anything. So we cut to Dorland's office. Well, we don't cut to. We go into Dorland's office and most of the FBI is done. They've already left. Scully takes a box of files and kind of heads out. And Mulder tells Lauren it's time to go. But she doesn't want to give up. She's still, like, tearing books apart and breaking stuff. <laughs> She's just going wild trying to find stuff. Dorlin comes in, and he's furious that, like, Lauren is breaking his stuff. And she's tearing open the back of one of his photo frames looking for evidence. And he's like, she's not FBI. <laughs> and she just immediately is like, what about that van that exploded and killed those servicemen? Like I, you know, I know all about that and we're going to find the evidence for it. And Dorlin just is like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he calls her a stupid bitch. And then she runs at him. She does, which to be fair, I mean, if anyone ever called me that, I probably would do the same thing, but I was so amazed they could even get away with saying that. I was like, Whoa. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a little like, whoa, they said that on TV. And so I don't know if that's because like, you know, it, it aired at after nine o'clock. It's the nine o'clock hour. So is that like, you know, as they would say, like in, in the UK, like after the watershed, you know, kind of maybe. Thing. Or I don't know, maybe I, it seems weird this would be the case, like, but maybe like they edited it for television and then we're getting some special unedited version now that we're watching it like not on live TV. I don't know. That was that would seem weird, but that's possible. I don't know. Yeah. So that was super shocking but yeah she runs yeah she him. runs at him and he pulls a knife like i don't know if it's supposed to be like a letter opener or what but it's like a knife like everyone is all about knives in this episode like stabby mcstabbersons <laughs> like we're just knives 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 but he pulls a knife at her and then something like slams him against the wall and he starts getting the darth vader choke again and she's like no don't kill him don't kill him help us help us find the evidence and then paper starts flying everywhere and the knife is apparently like floating and like pointing at Dorlin, like I'm going to stab you. And then it turns slowly like 90 degrees and shoots on the wall. Boom, it stands in a wall and then cuts the wallpaper and then everything kind of calms down and Dorlin's not dead. He's kind of like, Oh, Oh, my throat. 
Mulder walks over and pulls back the wallpaper and there's a floppy disk in the wall. Yeah. And so now we've got the evidence we need because, you know, normally people don't keep floppy disks like behind their wallpaper. So right. it's like fancy, like almost like tapestry wallpaper, but it's all like on all the walls. But so, I mean, that's really not how wallpaper works, but. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely yeah. not. Yeah. Cause it's like covering just like where there should be drywall, but there's nothing there. Yeah. Oh, I guess I forgot to mention, and I'm so awful at all the summary stuff that like, while this is going on, papers are flying everywhere and Dorton's getting choked out against the wall and like the knife is floating in the air. Like all the lights are just exploding. Boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. And like Scully is like, what's going on? And like runs to go into the room. Yeah, she's like banging on the door trying to get it open and she can't get it open. Yeah. And she, when they finally do open the door, everything's calm, but it's like a mess. And she's like, oh my God. But she magically like doesn't see the paranormal activity again. No, conveniently, she is not present yeah. for any of that. And then as soon as it's over, she gets in. Yep. <laughs> figures and so that's good they have the evidence they're gonna get this guy and so we cut to lauren and she has a moving trailer hitched to her car and presumably has the cat in the back seat in its carrier because we don't see it so i'm just assuming that's where it is because she is obviously taking it with her something happened to it nope cat's fine it's in the car (laughs) um so she's like packing up and Mulder's like yeah she's in a hurry to leave and she just kind of drives off and Mulder and Scully do too. And Mulder's like, have you ever seen the Liberty Bell? And Scully's like, I don't know. It's just a big bell with a crack. What's the big deal? And Mulder's like, I wonder if it's still open. So like they're, I don't know, going to go do some tourism maybe. Yeah, I'm with Scully on this one. She's like, it's a big bell with a big crack. And you have to wait in a long line to go see it. Like I'm with <laughs> her on that. It's like, who cares? But I'm wondering like, was this something we were like supposed to get? Or do they just need like some random, well, they're in Philadelphia and we need some dialogue. So let's talk about the Liberty Bell. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it was supposed to be a reference to something that we would have understood better in 1993 or what. Yeah. But, but so anyway, I, I guess Lauren moves to Omaha, Nebraska because she's working in an insurance office and she brings some paperwork in and apparently is a really slow worker because it was supposed to have had it like 25 minutes ago. And she's like, oh, yeah, sorry whatever lady i don't know how you keep a job and <laughs> the woman is uh, the woman is definitely crabby she's got definitely like crabby woman hair like yeah. everything going on like right out of like central casting for like we need a crabby woman who's like in charge of secretaries oh, okay this woman and she's like they may handle this kind of stuff on the coast but here in the midwest we like to have punctuality blah 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 blah, blah. and then we look down and her coffee cup starts vibrating and she's like oh she puts her hands over it to hold it down and she's like we need a new office space every time a big truck goes by this place just shakes and shakes and shakes and so lauren kind of like hmm and then end of episode yep and that's it so lauren is free of the poltergeist presumably and yeah i don't know we i mentioned in the beginning like this this little like desk thing with the ben franklin quote keeps popping up in the episode every time she's thinking about Howard, like it's in his office and she takes it home and it's on the mantelpiece. And now she's got it at her desk here in Omaha, Nebraska. And it's like, what does it have to do with anything? Like it worked a bit like Rocky four. There is no tomorrow says it better. <laughs> especially like if you're looking into a mirror and your dead friend is like, there is no tomorrow. So yeah, I don't know. Right. Sorry. Ben. Or Franklin. no day, but today from rent. Uh, 
yeah. <laughs> but yeah those kinds of things like, i think it's just supposed to be like a souvenir from him and like maybe it's encouraging it just has on. like like they focus so much on like the quote mm-hmm. and like this like she's like just like fondling this thing throughout the episode <laughs> it's like just like what does it have to do with anything maybe it's something he always said and so it just means a lot to her i don't yeah. know yeah <laughs> i do have to say one of my references and we'll do our references later but one of my reference books which is wanting to believe a critical guide to the x-files millennium and the lone gunman calls it a thomas jefferson quote and then later says that the coffee cup shakes as a train going by the cup so like i did use this in the episode but keep in mind i might not be keeping this book so <laughs> if you're hearing our references and thinking, oh, I want to get that book, maybe wait and see if I hang on to it or not. <laughs> so like, if you're going to get two things wrong like that in an episode that are easily checked, maybe not the best book for reference. But yeah. I know you have opinions about this episode, so let's just briefly talk. Apparently, this episode was inspired by the 1982 horror film, The Entity. And I guess it was written because Fox was insisting that they write more episodes where Mulder and Scully help people. And also, they had been pushing for like a poltergeist type story. So Morgan and Wog decided to write this to kind of get them off their back so they could then do weirder stories that they wanted to do. Yeah, and you know what? I think that actually is the movie that I'm thinking of because that movie stars Barbara Hershey and there is a bathtub scene and I think okay. that is where that is coming from. So I was thinking it was like an earlier like 70s, like maybe possibly like a Hammer film or something like that, but it is apparently this film, The Entity. So not only did they use it as a reference, they used it as a reference. So... Although I have to say, like, I read a lot of stuff about this episode where, like, Wong is like, oh, yeah, we had to write this episode because Fox really wanted us to write this episode and it didn't turn out that good. But, you know, we had to do it because Fox really wanted it. And I'm like, dude, just, like, take responsibility for an episode <laughs> you wrote that wasn't that great. Like, like they're not all going to be bangers. Like, just, like, you know, be responsible. Be like, yeah, we didn't write that great of an episode this time. It happens. Like, <laughs> whatever. Well, and it's TV, so, like, what you write doesn't always translate the way you think it might. Yeah. So. But I mean, they did miss some opportunities. <laughs> so and if you got anything else or if we want to get into that. Yeah. Let's but, get into. Okay. Thoughts and feelings. Yeah. So first I have to say like Lisa Waltz, I'm going to be that guy, Lisa Waltz who played Lauren kite, not a good actor. Like I'm going to jump in my time machine and go back and be like, People of the past do not hire her for anything. Although apparently they did. So, but I did not think she was a good actor. She's still working too. And she was recently on The Walking Dead. Oh, was she a zombie? She's still doing a lot of stuff. Maybe it would work, but anyway. (laughs) I don't don't know. I only watched The Walking Dead for like one season and I don't remember if she was in it or not. Yeah, I never watched the show. I read the comics. Well, I stopped reading the comics. I forget when I stopped reading them just because I kind of just fell away from comics in general. But. Yeah, I never saw the show. But anyway, yeah. So this episode, yeah. So to me, and I'm not going to, we'll, I know we're going to do ratings later, but mm-hmm. this is like deep throat level bad episode without like the redeeming qualities of having like a character introduced that's going to be a recurring character. And it's just had that same like missed opportunities. Like we get Scully mentions Carrie 
and Poltergeist earlier in the episode, right? Mm -hmm. They could have totally gone with like, we don't know if it's a ghost or if she has telekinetic powers. Like, let us not know. Like, never resolve that. That would have been a way more interesting episode. Instead of yeah. it being like, oh, we think it's this, and no, it's just a ghost. Because as a ghost story, it is a boring ghost story. And it also ends up being like one of the weird episodes where like most X-Files episodes are like, oh, we're investigating these weird, like, they're kind of like, we're investigating these things because they seem weird. Mm -hmm. But it ends up turning out being some bigger level weirdness, right? Whereas this one, it starts out with like, this case is weird. And it turns into just being like, oh, this guy's selling stuff to terrorists. Like, that's the case. Right. Because nothing gets resolved about the whole ghost. I mean, we don't, we don't know that he doesn't haunt her anymore because was that a truck or is he haunting her? We don't know. Like, is he like <laughs> an, you know, is he a spectral stalker now and like is never going to leave her? Or like, we don't know. But I think it could have been much better written and much more like you just would have like you just would have not known. Like leave that mystery. Like, is it her or is it a ghost? We don't know. No one knows, right? The audience doesn't know. Scully and Mulder don't know. Maybe she knows, but she's not talking. Like I think that would have been way more interesting than like yeah. it's a ghost. Oh yeah. <laughs> He's, yeah, angry think... he's angry because he got murdered. Oh, vengeful ghost story. Yeah, murdered in a pretty terrible way. Yeah. And everyone thinks he killed himself, which is, you know, if, if that's not what happened, then that's even worse because you're not getting justice. So, yeah. I mean, I definitely think that the, the her having telekinesis could have been interesting. And it could have been linked to that Sarah girl or not. It would have been neat to have them explore that. I do think our takeaway is supposed to be that like he's definitely gone because now his business is finished. And so that was just a truck or a train or something that was shaking the coffee. Was it? <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I just think like not knowing like either way. Yeah. Like could have been good. Is she Carrie or is it a ghost? Yeah. And it would have left it more haunting. But then maybe they wouldn't have been helping her so much if they didn't, like if she just had telekinetic powers, like but, but there's we would, no way but to. But we wouldn't know. That's the thing. Yeah, it's true. See? It's true. We wouldn't know. Because <laughs> we, we could still end the episode the exact same way. And then you're like. But was it a truck? But was it a truck? Does she have powers? Was it a ghost? Because we'd have that damn desk thing that floats around everywhere. It's like he's apparently connected to that possibly because now like it's in her house and so the ghost is now in her house and then she takes to omaha now it's in omaha so maybe it's connect maybe that's the connection is that freaking ben franklin quote that is not used <laughs> for anything else in the episode but i just think yeah i think making it a ghost using the ghost photography because if you had avoided the ghost punching the dude in the face and like the blur going by her in the living room right everything else could have been like it's telekinesis. Like she could have had like, you know, psychic protection. Boom. When they attacked her in the alley, they're dead. She could have psychic protection when Dorling goes forward and the wrist thing, right? Every instance could have been like psychic protection, except for like the blurry thing in the living room, punching the guy in the face. Yeah. So. And like the weird photo. Yeah. And if you get rid of the photos, 
yeah, I just think it would have been a much more interesting if he just didn't, if we didn't make it a ghost. Like, don't resolve it. Because, and even like the scene with the blood, that could be like a manifestation. Yeah, of her. Yeah. So, brain or whatever. Yeah. And she hears, like, you know, but like, do we know that that's true? Like, there was, there would have been a way to work that where she would be, like, she's really convinced that that's what happened, but we don't know that's what happened. And then we find the proof that's what happened. Right. So, and honestly, when that was happening, I thought that she was being haunted because she killed him. Mm. So that is what I thought when she was yeah, like, there was until... no way that woman killed somebody. No, she was, but you know, I, I was like, when the plot was going on, I was like, maybe she killed him and that's why she's being haunted. And so maybe he's not protecting her. It wasn't clear and to me until later, but yeah, she's I can like definitely see that. Super high level Iranian agent who is really good at playing like super mousy women and that way she's never suspected, but uh, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So I'm telling you, this is not your favorite episode. No, no. It, man, who would have thunk that something would unseat Deep Throat from the, the throne of shame for this season, but something had. Well, something had to eventually. <laughs> I guess so. We'll see. Well, we'll not see necessarily. You would kinda, That's true. You would kind of hope nothing would. Yeah, I'm hoping. But For me, it wasn't as bad. Well, it was... I, I didn't like it as much as Deep Throat, so my Deep Throat rating was higher, but... Okay. Well, I guess we should do the ratings then, yeah? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, I'll let you... I've kind of, like, buried the lead. Well, maybe the opposite of burying the lead. I've kind of, like, <laughs> given away my okay. hand already. Made your I thoughts guess. clear. <laughs> yeah, so I'll let you do yours, and I'll do mine. So I was kind of debating. I gave Jersey Devil a three. Okay. I did actually like this more than Jersey Devil because it was just more engaging, I guess. was Jer- I Remind me, was Jersey Devil your lowest episode so far? Yeah. Okay, so you rated Deep Throat a little bit higher. Okay. I rated Deep Throat a five. Okay. I think so. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to give this one like a four because it's a little oh. better than Jersey Devil. Okay. I didn't, I thought Deep Throat was a little better. I just, I mean, I liked it enough. Like I wasn't like, like during Jersey Devil, I was like, oh my gosh, just get to the end. Whereas this one, I was like more into the story trying to, you know, follow along and see what was going to happen. And I did kind of remember that like letter opener scene which doesn't really affect my rating at all. So I'm not <laughs> up. But it just, it was very like, oh yeah, I remember this now. Yeah, so I'm going to go with a four. Okay. Well, I have to say, I think this episode could not exist. So much in the way that I thought like Deep Throat could not exist, but you have, right. to, you have to work up those, those bookends, like the opening mm-hmm. with, well, not the opening, but the, you know, the introducing Deep Throat. And then we get the, the coda scene where he, meets Mulder on the field like if you could just keep those and kill the rest like that episode didn't even exist this episode has like no redeeming qualities it's basically like the paranormal highway to heaven of like we're gonna get Mulder and Scully to come in and help out some person and then that's not gonna have anything to do with anything else in the episode <laughs> not that I'm necessarily like I haven't been like obviously I really like the pilot the only other myth arc episode we've had so far is Deep Throat which didn't like so not necessarily a fan of the whole myth arc stuff yet. We'll find out if that changes, but I just don't see where this episode added anything aside from being like, we have to produce this many episodes this season. Like the only person I really cared about in this episode was the groundskeeper. That's not a good sign. Didn't care about (laughs) Lauren. Didn't care about her boss. Didn't care about the creepy dead ghost who's stalking her. 
was just like, what is up with their relationship? This is not healthy. Yeah. So I'm giving this one a one. Okay. Wow. That's our first one. Yes. Not a fan. Totally fair. Yeah, it's not an episode that I'd be like, wow, if you want to get into the X-Files, you know what you should do is watch Shadows. But I don't think it's bad enough that I would necessarily like turn it off if I were watching an X-Files marathon. Whereas like Jersey Devil, I probably would turn it off. Oh, okay. Well, see, I would probably be the, I don't know that I would turn it off, but I would be the exact opposite. So much like Jersey Devil and also like Deep Throat, like this one just has like, it's, there's missed opportunities. This one just has, in my opinion, this one has the most missed opportunities. Okay. And then just, there were so many things about the main character that just irritated me Mm -hmm. that it's just like, I can't like every time she was on screen, I was like, God, just get over it. (laughs) She's grieving. It's been two weeks. That's not very long. God, that's not long like your, at all. Your creepy relationship with your <laughs> boss. Okay, we get it. Jeez. He was like her dad and he's then dead. Then go to his that's house hard. and don't be so creepy in the office. <laughs> Holy moly. Anyway. Well, she also knows all these secrets about the office. Like, you know, I can see it. I think yeah, I, so I think why I have more... you keep going there? <laughs> oh my God, like leave. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely have more sympathy for her, but that's totally okay. fine. Like she I didn't, mean, the actress did not do it for you clearly. And no, like no, no, the no, story no, no. didn't work. I can definitely see, like, I agree with your criticisms and I think it could have been better. And I think there were definitely better directions to take it. So like Mrs. Budahas, like I totally feel for Mrs. Budahas, right? I don't like that episode, but like, you're like, Oh my God, poor Mrs. B- Why are you leaving her? Right. She's like, what's going on? This one, I'm like, just like, whatever. Like, let her move. <laughs> like, she can leave. No one, yeah. Solve this case about selling stuff to the terrorists. Just, oh my God. Anyway, yeah. Not to denigrate therapy, because I think therapy works for people. But oh, yeah. like, Lauren Kite needs to go see a therapist is what she needs. Oh, but. she does. Absolutely. <laughs> she, needs to, she needs to join a grief support group is what she needs. Like, ghost, really ghost or no ghost. No, she needs that grief support group and she needs to probably go to therapy as well. And just because it's clearly destroying her life and she needs to take care of it. Yeah. So then we can have another episode, please. Like <laughs> more groundskeeper. Yeah. Groundskeeper and Dr. Deadpan. Yeah. She's got those <laughs> like, crime. like those sli- all, like almost bug eyes too. And she's just sitting there. Could you like get that? Like her whole face is the scene. <laughs> like they're so close. Like it's just like almost all you see is her face and like her hair. And she's just like, he's dead <laughs> yeah he's very dead yeah no she's yeah. she's the best she definitely should have gotten her own spinoff she's a very interesting character I'm not sure she's necessarily the best medical examiner but <laughs> no but how do you know it's him that's what it said on the toe tag <laughs> why didn't you use blood work we only do that blood work if we think it might be a homicide well i mean you know maybe a suicide maybe suicide you might want to check them I don't know. The guy worked for the yeah, department. I don't know of that they do. They probably should, but yeah. I don't know that I mean, that's standard practice. Some guy practice. who works for a contractor for the Department of Defense kills himself. Maybe look into it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Hindsight, right? So Yeah. Well, she's fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So groundskeeper and medical examiner. Neither of them get names, unfortunately. So No. And I actually tried to look up the actress who played her and I couldn't even find it because like 
Uh, yeah, I must have just missed it. I'll have to go through IMDb. Yeah, there's a like... lot of uncredited. The groundskeeper does get credit, but there's actually a lot of uncredited people in this episode. Like yeah. the two teenagers who, who like find the bodies, they actually have lines. They're not credited. The two assassins, they have lines and, you know, they've got a pretty significant scene. They don't get credits. The two guys who like abducted Lauren also don't get credit. The groundskeeper, his name is Tom Heaton and he does get credit. And he actually does appear in one more episode of Dex Files later. Not as Ooh. groundskeeper, unfortunately. And then he also oh. appears in Millennium. He has a pretty good IMDb roster of being like, you know, just like, like similar size scenes, I imagine, kind of in different shows. Right. So, yeah, I but, couldn't find whoever played this coroner lady, but that's too bad because she was very good. Yeah, because the, <laughs> other, the other coroner doesn't get named, but she is listed with a credit. Yeah, and I looked and I was like, that is not the same person, no. so I couldn't find it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think, I guess we're done. Yeah. Yeah. I did just have one more quick bit of trivia. Jillian Anderson once in an interview on CBS said that when she moved to her Vancouver home where they, when they were filming the X-Files felt this really unsettling presence. And so she had the house cleansed by an indigenous shaman. And after that, the presence disappeared. So Scully may not believe, but Jillian Anderson clearly has some belief in the spirit realm i'm gonna rate that the same way i wait like wong talking about like we had to write this episode that's why it's bad it's like <laughs> they needed a quote for something so, maybe yeah I she was on an interview with cbs she might have just yeah said it something. was it was it was promotional yeah <laughs> i'm not saying she's lying i'm just right. like yeah i'm gonna give that the same sort of yeah you're like you yeah. yeah well i mean we don't have the shaman to interview or, no, or Jillian and Anderson proves that that happened. So, <laughs> and who's to say, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying she's lying, but I'm also not saying like, maybe she didn't do that because like, maybe like Chris Carter paid for the shaman. So they'd have something to talk <laughs> about when they were doing promos for the show. I'm not going to go anywhere with that. I'm just saying that's a possibility. So it is a possibility. You never know. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I think that wraps up shadows. All right. Thank God. <laughs> well i hope you like our next episode better and our next episode is going to be ghost in the machine mm, the police album cool and no response okay <laughs> what? i don't know what to say <laughs> i want to rewatch is hosted by tori and nick and recorded at black cat studios hashtag really just a bedroom closet research for this episode includes the X-Files fandom wiki, specifically the Shadows episode page. The X-Files Declassified by Frank Lovis. Wanting to Believe, A Critical Guide to the X-Files, Millennium, and the Lone Gunman by Robert Sherman. Monsters of the Week, The Complete Critical Companion to the X-Files by Zach Hanlon and Emily Todd Vanderwerf. The Truth is Out There, The Official Guide to the X-Files by Brian Lowry. And The Unofficial X-Files Companion by N.E. Genge. Episode production, editing, and mixing is by Lazian Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz, and The Truth is What We Make of It by The Agrarians. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review to help us improve the podcast and reach more listeners. You can find us at anchor.fm slash I Want to Rewatch or wherever fine podcasts are found. Or simply head over to IWantToRewatch.com. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. We are at RewatchXFiles. And on Instagram, where I want to rewatch. You can also email us at I want to rewatch at gmail.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm slash I want to rewatch. 
simply by clicking on the message button. And you can always share this podcast with a friend. If you know someone who likes The X-Files, we'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch episode seven, Ghost in the Machine. And try to figure out if If the the truth truth is still still out there. there. Still out there. Dun dun dun. X Files, X Files, X Files.